Okay, hello and welcome to the SQA Historical Committee podcast. My name is Joanne Boyd. Uh, I'm currently in uh, the Beyond Compliance Specialty Section uh, with the Historical Committee, and I've been working with uh, the Program Committee for several years. But I'm here today with uh, Catherine Benz to learn about her experience with the roots of SQA and SQA. Um, first thing I wanted to ask you is when and how you first got involved with QA. Uh, I got involved in SQA back in um, 1989 when I was a researcher doing field toxicity studies. So we were doing a lot of pesticide research and um, we had been doing um, several studies with a variety of different pesticides, primarily in Iowa in the field, and uh, suddenly the EPA GLP uh, came, on, came on board and we were asked to do the studies from now on under the EPA GLPs. Well, I was at Western Washington University at the time, so I was in an academic institution and nobody knew what the GLPs even were. And so um, uh, I was an avian toxicologist and I had a big component of the study. And they said, well, why don't you go and figure out what these regulations are? And in those days, it was really difficult to find regulations. You couldn't just Google anything. In fact, there was still no email in 1989. So I ended up making a contact in, um, at, at the um, at EPA, and it was Francisca Liam, and she said, well, if you really want to know what the GLPs are all about, you should join SQA, this new group. Um, and they are a group of quality assurance professionals, and they help um, with education and integrating and um, conducting studies under the GLPs. So that was really my introduction to the GLPs um, and the Society of Quality Assurance. So I went, and I believe it was 1990 was my first um, meeting that I went to, and I still didn't really know what the regulations were about, and I really only intended to go to this one meeting, figure out what the regulations are, go back, implement them in our studies, and that would be the end of it. I truly looked at myself at that time as a researcher. And so I, uh, I went to the SQA meeting, and we were just talking at lunch. I think that it might have been in San Diego. Um, but uh, it was the first meeting, and, and we needed a QA officer, I found out. And we needed to find out who was our study director and who was our test facility manager. And I took the basic training course, and at that course, I met um, Mike Franks and Jim Kerrigan. And we ended up uh, every night, I think, going out and drinking a fair amount of wine and talking about what we learned during the training session. And we even ended up taking a, a long trip up, up the coast because um, we were all there an extra day at the end. And to this day, um, Mike and Jim and I are still really good friends and we've been colleagues since that very first meeting where we met each other as newbies at the basic GLP training program. 
And I went back to Western Washington University and I said, well, we need all of these different <clears throat> roles and responsibilities and we need to write SOPs. And somehow I got talked into doing it just for a year. And so just for a year, I was going to do QA, and I was going to write SOPs, and, um, you know, I never looked back. I, I remained in QA because it was, it was very challenging. It was very challenging, particularly in an academic institution where there wasn't quite a, a regulatory need or oversight, and um, they didn't really have a whole lot of resources for quality assurance. So it... It was, a, it was a position that I, I found fulfilling because it was focused on doing the right thing the very first time and all the time, and yet it was still scientifically driven. And I was concerned even in those days that we would get to having a program that was compliance-driven rather than science-driven. And um, the importance in, of doing good science is still a driving force behind um, the regulations, I believe, and I wanted to make sure that message never got lost. So I stayed in QA to this day. <laughs> so, so it was a very surprising change in my career path, <laughs> to be honest. Right. So what are some of the committees you've been involved with? Oh, um, so in the very early days, um, there were no specialty sections. And so the very first group um, that I got together, because I um, got involved with, was the University Roundtable. And a lot of people don't realize this, but the University Roundtable was a group of university quality assurance um, officers or managers or professionals, whatever you want to call them. And um, we, only, we were all the only QA person in, the, in our respective institution. And that was fairly unlike in those days when most companies that were doing regulated research actually had a QA unit where you had a number of QA officers. But at an, uh, academic institutions, even today, there's, it's a luxury to have more than one. So uh, we got together and we put on our own tracks and we met once a year as this round table. And it was very um, informal. We just had a roster and we just sent out, um, actually in those days, I think we, we sent out mail messages re via the mail, what we were doing and when we were gonna meet. And um, that's how we communicated for the first couple years. And um, ultimately, the society created these specialty sections, and the university roundtable had been um, <laughs> had been operating as an informal roundtable for so many years that we decided we didn't want to become a specialty section. We didn't write a, want to write an SOP. We just wanted to be this informal group, and that worked for a number of years. Um, and then ultimately, it kind of faded um, because there was no structure. So we learned. Um, a lesson ourselves about how important having a standard operating procedure and roles and responsibilities really were to maintaining a group because it floundered, the University Roundtable then floundered for a number of years, and I believe then there was a core group still hanging around. A number of the original members were Patricia O'Brien Palmerloo yeah. 
and um, um, I'm trying to think of who else. Um, Belinda Lawler was there. Um, but anyway, um, we did flounder, and then eventually we revised um, the entire university group as a specialty section. So I was very active, active in the university specialty section. It's a, a hard environment to be a quality assurance professional in um, because it doesn't have a primary res role, responsibility, or, or mission of a university is not to develop drugs, not to put drugs on the market. Um, but in fact, the university mission is education, research, and service. And so I still think there's a very strong role for QA in a university because we are, in fact, educating the next generation of researchers. And if they come out of the university setting with good document, data documentation skills, good data quality skills, good data integrity skills, they are going to find an easier transition into the market and they will be a more valuable employee. So I still think there's a very strong role in both research and education at the universities. So I've been really active there and still am today. Um, the other group that I, I, I um, have a heartfelt, um, not responsibility towards, but um, I think it's a group that I click with very well, is the Beyond Compliance Specialty Section because I think we should be doing so many of the things that we do not because of compliance, but for many other reasons. And so ethics has always been important to me, developing a quality culture, which is a little bit different than developing a compliance culture, and finding ways to do that, and finding ways to have quality metrics so we can measure how well we're doing. Those have all been important to me, and I've been active in com beyond compliance specialty section for a number of years to bring that to and that's fruition. how I met you. <laughs> yes, yes, that's how, that is. I actually, <laughs> and I think I actually did uh, an abstract and was speaker for an ethics, had lunch with you and they, with the Beyond Compliance group, and you pulled me in and have had me active ever since. And I guess I owe all the things that I've been doing both at work and here to you. So Oh, good. It's, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Yes, and you've been a great asset to the society. <laughs> so that's Thank you. Okay, can you provide any unusual story for historical memories while you were at SQI? Wow. Um, unusual? Mm -hmm. Unusual stories. Um, Something that stood out for you. I'm trying to think. I th don't have any one particular story, but what when I think back over the years that I've been attending SQA annual meetings and participating in all the different levels of the society, from the specialty sections to the chapters to the committees, and the last couple of years I've been very active on the board of directors. Um, the one thing that I, I think I, I, I feel is, is important is the collegiality and friendliness and the fun that you have doing the work of the society. 
and you feed off of each other when you interact and you learn so much more than you ever would have learned on your own. And it, it's not always the, um, the oldest person in the society you learn from, but, but it can be just the youngest one. And it's how we all interact together. So I'm trying to think of some, uh, some funny stories, and I'm, I'm coming up blank right now. Um, but I do remember story after story and time after time of laughing and having um, uh, good meals with everyone and, and then getting back into some sort of a room and either um, sitting in on a training session or presenting a training session or developing a new committee or a new project. Um, the, uh, the mentoring program was a, is a good example of this. The mentoring program, I think we probably met off and on on the mentoring program for probably two years without accomplishing a whole lot. And then we came together as a group at an annual meeting and we sat down in a boardroom and I think we knocked out the mentoring program in a day or half a day even. And it was because we were all there and it had been such a struggle and then suddenly we were all there. It was fun, we all had our ideas and we pulled it together and we came up with a flow chart of what it would look like and suddenly we were all there together in one room just having such a good time and we came up with just a really fantastic, very streamlined mentoring program that has been very successful and there's a lot of testimonials to that fact right. um, throughout. So. Um, I, you know, those type of interactions have just um, exemplified all my interactions with the society where you start with something that could be very hard and you get together with a bunch of like-minded, um, good people and before you know it, you've created something really fantastic. And I think that's the story. I know there's probably some other really outstanding or funny stories <laughs> you'll think of them tonight yeah i'll probably you know, think of them all tonight but you know the unusual thing about your starting that mentoring program is you all were doing mentoring long before that yes <laughs> one way or the other we drag somebody in and and uh and and hopefully they'll become friends and colleagues that's the way it has okay, worked well you work you work very well with me for someone that was new to sqa and learning a whole lot but if you're speaking to a new SQA member today, what advice would you give them? Oh, the most, the most important advice, actually, as a QA professional is for you to read the regulations and know what they say. And then take what you know about science and apply those regulations to the science. Let the science drive the SOPs, not necessarily the regulations. But if you don't know what the regulations say, you can't advise um, your faculty members or your scientific staff um, because if you don't know the regulations, they certainly won't know them as, at all. So know the regulations um, and, and so that when you advise them, you can say exactly where the regulations state you need to do something. Then the next thing I would say is, is um, is truly to volunteer and be active in your professional society, whether it's the SQA or your local chapter. But actually, by volunteering, you will make um, more friends 
that when you don't know something or you don't know what the industry standard is in interpreting the regulations, you will have friends and colleagues that you can easily reach out to um, and, and they'll guide you along, along the way. And uh, there's n you will always find some time within your career where you're asked to do something you've never done before and you can, uh, you can brainstorm what you think is the right way, but it really helps to have someone you can talk to and talk through it and find out what someone else has done because there's usually a very efficient way to do something. And when you don't have those collegial interactions, it's hard to, it, it takes you a lot longer to figure out what doesn't work. Whereas if you have someone in the, age, in the, in the society you can reach out to, you will have someone who says, no, you can try that, but it, it generally doesn't work. Here's a better way that we've seen work really well. And then you see, you try that, try it. But I would say, uh, so know, know your science, know your, your regulation, but also reach out and become a good colleague. Um, provide a service to your society because it will give you back way more than you ever give to, to your society. So whether it's just volunteering at the registration desk here or to write an article for the quality newsletter, it will give you... Um, tons tons more back in ways that you can't predict in terms of friendships yeah. you know uh, professional contacts and networks um, good information um, and opportunities as well to advance your career and you were president last year yes and I was you managed to still make so many of the specialty sections so I was real impressed with that but yeah how 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 was that for you? The presidency is a lot of work, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but it came at a point in my career where I could, I could manage that load, and I had been in the society long enough that I, I knew what I wanted to accomplish as presidency. And I really wanted to get the message out that quality assurance is not just something someone sticks you in and it's a dead-end career. It truly is a valuable professional career. And too often, because it doesn't have a PhD behind it, we don't recognize the quality assurance professional as a career option and as a valuable part of the scientific team. We always are one step outside of the science we, which gives us a, a different perspective. Um, it's like having someone come in and, you know, giving a, a brand new look at something. They're going to find something that that um, may not be right or could be done better. And I think QA can offer that third-party, independent evaluation of how well you're doing, and and can offer suge suggestions for making it a better a better project, a better study, a better clinical trial. So we bring in a new perspective, um, and I think that that's, that's so important um, as, a, as part of the research team to be that independent person who says, are you doing what you think you're doing or what you say you're doing? Um, and um, and that, that's incredibly valuable to the researcher. They may not realize it at the time, but it is an incredible, valuable resource and part of the research team. 
And, and that, even though we don't get a PhD in quality assurance, that is a really um, specialized talent to come in and independently look at somebody else's research, be part of that team so that you make the research better, the science better, the end product, the, the product that eventually will go out on the market, a safe product for anyone to use. And so that, that role and responsibility is really a critical role. And that's what I wanted to, to bring across. So a lot of our programs that, that I thought were important as a president were things like outreach. We did a lot more outreach um, when I was a president, um, interacting with other professional societies, whether they were quality-related, like the National Data Integrity Conferences, or, or scientifically-oriented, like the American Chemical Society. We reached yeah. out during last year during that. The other thing we did, which is near and dear to my heart, is we started the STEM task force last year. And that is a program that will inspire our younger people to, uh, to not only have personal ethics and do the right thing when they're scientists, but it will also give them a better understanding of what data quality means and what does quality control mean and what does data integrity mean. What They will grow up as scientists being expected to follow ALCOA, for example, right. because we're teaching it now through our STEM program at an early age and so that they will have an understanding of how important it is to ensure that the data quality is there the very first time they capture their data and then throughout the life cycle of that data that the integrity is there. You don't lose quality over time. So that is that was part of what I hope I accomplished as a president. That's great. Well, Kat, I'd like to thank you for talking with us today. I think you've given some really nice insight, and it's good for a lot of newer people to listen to. Okay. Thank you again for everything you've done with me. Well, thank you for inviting me here. It's been fun. It's been a pleasure to know you, and I think you should be interviewed. You've got just as much experience here in the the society, and you've contributed. Thank you. A lot over the years, especially in education. I, I've always admired your ability to, to take education and bring it home. Oh, I've, I've enjoyed doing that with you, too. <laughs> right, yeah, we've done a number of them together. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Okay.